Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your great love for each and every one of us. Your word tells us, Father, that you demonstrated your love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And even though our sin separates us from you, we can be brought near by the blood of Jesus. And I'm so grateful, Lord. And as we continue our journey in the book of Luke this morning, I pray, Father, that your grace would be upon us, that your spirit would be our teacher, that you would lead us and guide us into the truth of your word this morning so that we can draw closer to you and we can walk with you in all others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So far in the book of Luke, we have looked at the miraculous and amazing accounts of Jesus' birth and the surrounding events, many of which are unique to the book of Luke. Uh, if you read, as you read, not if, you should read the other Gospels, but as you read the other Gospels, you don't really get the shepherds out in the field and the angels showing up and glory to God in the highest and goodwill and peace towards men. And you know, I should remember that. It's not that far back. Uh, you don't see... Um, well, anything of what we're about to see today. Uh, you don't see Zacharias and Elizabeth. You don't see um, Mary going to visit Elizabeth. We have Mary's song of praise in chapter 2 earlier on. No, sorry, in chapter 1, which is just a beautiful song of worship. And these unique events recorded for us in Luke, when taken in context of the other three Gospels, gives us a more complete understanding of the events surrounding Jesus' birth, and I, I absolutely love it. Uh, so today, we're still not going to be done with chapter 2. Um, we are, at this point, uh, a little over a week out from Jesus' birth, at least in the progression of the narrative in the book of Luke. Um, next week, when we get to verse 41, Lord willing, We'll jump ahead by about 12 years. And then when we get to chapter 3, we jump ahead another uh, 18 years or so after that. But for today, we're picking up in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now we know um, Jesus lived a sinless life according to the law. He had to live a sinless life according to the law in order to be the substitution for our sin. Because if Jesus ever sinned, when he died on the cross, he would have just died for his own sin. But because he was born without a sin nature, we talked about that when we talked about him being conceived by the Holy Spirit, uh, probably about a month ago now. Um, and because everything throughout his life was done just right 
according to the law of the Lord. He didn't have sin, nor did he commit sin. And when we were in Hebrews, you remember, he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. And he had to live a sinless life. Now, part of this is actually accomplished here through certain things that Mary and Joseph did, such as having him circumcised according to God's command on the eighth day after he was born. Uh, this originated back in Genesis 17, verse 12. Circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with Abraham, and it continues today among the Jewish people, and they still do so on the eighth day. Now, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I am not a medical doctor, but I have been told that naturally in our bodies, um, it's somewhere around eight days after birth that we start producing vitamin K, um, which is the vitamin that clots our blood, which is why you don't circumcise a baby until the eighth day. Right? God's kind of smart. Not kind of. God's really smart. But he knew how he created us. He knew if you circumcised him earlier than that, it would be a problem. Uh, nowadays, um, when, when you're born, they just give you a vitamin K shot. You don't have to wait eight days if you don't want to. Um, but there you go. There's your, there's your bit of medical trivia for the day. Uh, so next time you're playing Trivial Pursuit, what day does the body start producing vitamin K? You'll know. Oh, day eight! Or maybe you'll forget. They called his name Jesus. This is the name given to him by the angel. This is what they were told back in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, that they would name him. Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. Jesus is the name Jehovah Shua, or Jehoshua. God is salvation. If you take it from Hebrew to English, it's Joshua. We call him Jesus because we actually take it from Hebrew to Greek to English. So it goes from Joshua to Jesus, or Jesus, to Jesus. Um, but his name, in all reality, is Joshua. We'll keep calling him Jesus. We don't want to confuse people. But just so you know. I like that. Every time I go to a different point, I need that noise. <laughs> it says when the days of her purification. So this all came together. right? God plans everything perfectly. If you go back and read Leviticus 12, 1 through 8, not only in that passage is circumcision on the eighth day reiterated, it also gives the number of days for the purification of a woman who gives birth to a boy. So if you gave birth to a little boy, it took seven days before you could go into the temple again and technically be purified. If it was a girl, it took two weeks. You can take that up with God, why that was different. Don't ask me. That, that's up to him. Um, but she would be unclean for a week. Now, at the end of that week, on the eighth day, she would bring the, her, her son to the temple to be circumcised, and she would also come to the temple to make a sacrifice for her purification. And here, we're told that she brought a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, they were supposed to bring a lamb. If you could not afford to bring a lamb, that one of these pairs of birds would be sufficient for that sacrifice. Well, what that tells us is 
that Mary and Joseph were not particularly well off. They didn't have a lot of money, so when it came time for her purification, for the sacrifice they needed to make, they couldn't afford a lamb. So they had to bring a pair of birds. And now all of this, again, is according to the Lord, or the law of the Lord. And we talk about, it says here in verse 23, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. This began back in Exodus chapter 13, verse 2. After God spared the firstborn of Israel at the first Passover, remember all the Egyptian babies, it was the 10th plague, and over and over and over again, God, through Moses, warned Pharaoh, you got to stop it. You got to let him go. And for the first time, five times, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh lied. Fine, I'll let you go. And then after the plague was over, he didn't let them go. And then finally, God cemented him in that position. And the 10th plague was the killing of the firstborn of Egypt. God told the Jews, you kill yourself a lamb and you strike the doorposts and the lintels with the blood of the lamb and I will pass over you. And he spared the firstborn of Israel. Well, as a result of that, God then made a claim on all the firstborn of Israel, not just the, the kids, firstborn sons, but all the firstborn of the animals too. And they had to be redeemed. And there were a number of laws surrounding this of how you would redeem animals and whatnot. But if it was a firstborn son, it had to be redeemed in Exodus 34, 20 by bringing an offering to the Lord. So when they came, they would bring the birds, right, for Mary's purification, but sons were redeemed with five shekels of silver that came as an offering. Uh, we read about that in number. No, I'm sorry, in Numbers 18, verse 16. Now, here's an interesting note, and then we're going to move forward. When we read Matthew's gospel, we see in chapter 2 that the Magi came when Jesus was roughly two years old. Now, we know that because Herod determined the time that the star appeared based on what the Magi told him. And when the Magi left, he killed all the children two years old and under. So we know it was roughly two years, maybe a little less. But what that means is all of this, what we're reading right now, took place before the Magi came. So our nativity scenes, and I've talked about this, our nativity scenes are not biblically accurate. Right? That Jesus was born in a manger and Joseph and Mary and, and you know, the cow and the little drummer boy were all there. Well, probably not the little drummer boy, but they were all there in the nativity Right? But we often depict the wise men coming then as well. But they didn't. They came later. Mary and Joseph were actually in a house, the Bible tells us. So what's really cool about this, at least in my mind, is we have Jesus' birth. A week later, eight days later, they go to the temple in Jerusalem to have him circumcised and to make the appropriate offerings. But then they went back to Bethlehem. They were only about six miles apart, so this could all be done in a day. But they go back to Bethlehem, where they stay for another year and a half or two years. Then the Magi show up, 
then God warns Joseph in a dream about the killing, about the massacre that's about to happen, and they flee to Egypt, where they stay until Herod dies, and then they return to Nazareth. Now, Luke is going to skip over that. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to the end of today. But it's just something, it's the reason having four Gospels is so important for us. Because they give us that complete picture. They give us this, the various aspects of the Gospel where one might leave a certain thing or a certain part of the account out while another one picks it up. And then we read all four together and we get a complete picture of, of who Jesus is according to the word of God. Verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared beforehand, or before, sorry, before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now I like Simeon. Simeon was a righteous and devout or sincere man, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What was he waiting for? He was waiting for the Messiah. He was waiting for the one who would bring comfort to his people. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, was speaking to him, was leading him, and Simeon did what? He followed the Holy Spirit said, you're going to see the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's anointed. You're going to see him before you die. And Simeon believed that. And the Holy Spirit led him into the temple. And what did he do? Well, he went. I'm just going to throw this out there. The Holy Spirit is often going to lead us. Now, he's often going to lead us by showing us things in his word. Sometimes he's going to lead us through the people in our lives. Sometimes he's going to lead us through the still, small voice that he whispers in the back of our minds. Sometimes, if you're anything like me, that still, small voice is loud. And then sometimes, if you're anything like me, that voice sounds a lot like my wife. Saying, I think we should do this. Really? Well, you disagree, do you? Well, I guess I better pray about it a little bit more. But the Holy Spirit is always going to speak and lead when we are willing to listen. Simeon was listening. And what happened? 
he was led to the temple on just the right day, right? Where maybe he didn't have any other reason to be there, but that. And when he was there, what did he do? Well, he got to see Jesus in person. He got to hold him. How cool is that? Now, Simeon, the first thing he does is he worships God. Simeon's words here are words of worship. They recount God's faithfulness to keep his word to Simeon, noting that he can now die in peace. Simeon recognizes Jesus as the source of salvation to all people. And he recognizes that the Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles as well as the glory of Israel. And, and I think this is beautiful because later on, when you get to the book of Acts, the early church was surprised when the gospel went to the Gentiles through Peter. Remember the centurion sent to Peter who was saying with Simon uh, the Tanner, God gives uh, Peter this vision of all these unclean animals on a sheep. He says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, no, Lord. Those two words don't go together. If he's Lord, he can't say no. But he says, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says, don't you dare call common or unclean what I have cleansed. And then there's a knock at the door, and the centurion sent these servants, and God said, go with them. Right? Again, the leading of the Holy Spirit. Peter goes with him. He walks in. The centurion bows down, and Peter says, no, nah, don't do that. I'm just a guy. What do you want? And he said, well, I was praying. And the Holy Spirit told me to get you because you had things to say that I needed to hear. And Peter was like, cool. And he preaches the gospel. And the Holy Spirit falls, and the Gentiles get saved. And the, and the other Jewish believers who went with Peter are like, <gasps> wow. And it gets to the point that when they get back to Jerusalem, that the rest of the church is like, hey, who told you you could go talk to the Gentiles? Right? Where, where did you? And they said, this is what happened. And then they went, okay, cool. Gentiles get to get saved too. But that was always the case. It was always the case that he would be a light to the Gentiles. You can go back and you can read the book of Isaiah and over and over and over again in the book of Isaiah, it's prophesied that the Messiah would be for everyone, not just the Jewish people. Now, the Jewish people got this kind of exclusivity that the Messiah would only be for them. They were wrong. Just like we sometimes, not us, but some Christians, we're better than this, get this idea that we have some sort of exclusivity and that we should be the judges of who can and cannot come to Christ. You ever, you ever been that way? I'm not asking for you to raise your hands, not right now. But I've done that. You ever been that way? You hear about a crime committed. Oh, well, that person's going to go to hell. Well, unless we repent, and come to believe the gospel, we're all going to hell. And if that person repents and comes to believe the gospel, they're not. Because the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all sin. It's not up to us to decide. You ever looked at a person and maybe felt the leading of the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with them and you're like, uh-uh. 
I ain't sharing the gospel with them. They're gay. They're a Democrat. I usually make a Democrat joke just to get Roy to laugh, but thank you. <laughs> right? Or they're a Republican. Or they're uh, fill in the blank. They've got tattoos. Well, people get that way. I know I told this story before, but I love this story. When we were living in Oklahoma and our son was younger, uh, he had a mohawk. Right? Most of you have heard this story. He had a mohawk. And he usually didn't spike it up when we went to church. Out of respect. But he had a mohawk. And who cares? He had a mohawk. And we walked into my in-law's church, which was a very <coughs> Baptist church. And this lady, oh, how dare he come to church with hair like that. We all know me. And for those of you who know the story, you know what happened. So the next week, we dyed it purple and stuck it straight up. My son, well, he's about to go into full-time ministry. Who cares what his hair looks like? Who cares? Right? It doesn't matter. That's not what counts. And so we, I went, that was a rabbit trail. We're going to come right back. Because it's not up to us to decide. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, barbarian, Scythian. Any Scythians? I don't even know what a Scythian is. Um, right? It doesn't matter. White, black, Asian, Hispanic, Democrat, Republican, gay, straight. The gospel applies to everybody. Jesus can save anybody who comes to him. Now, I'm going to tell you, he's not going to leave you where you're at, for which I am very grateful. He's not going to leave you where you're at, but he doesn't care how you come. He just wants you to come. And after Simeon's worship, Joseph and Mary marvel. Now, it would be easy to take this as they were surprised. But they weren't surprised. That's not what the word means. The word means that they admired Simeon's words. So Simeon says, Lord, you're letting me die in peace. I've seen your salvation, a light to the Gentiles, glory to your people Israel. And Joseph and Mary weren't like, wow, well, I didn't see that coming. No, they were like, oh, yeah. Simeon knows what's going on. They admired his words. They soaked it in. They took it as further confirmation not that they needed it, but further confirmation of who Jesus is. And then Simeon blesses them, but then he speaks to Mary. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And as we continue through the book of Luke, and as we have read the Gospels, we know that's true. For the fall and rising of many, he lifted up the broken. He brought salvation to the sinful and to the desperate, and he still does. But he tore down the religious hypocrites. He tore down those who didn't want people to come to God unless they came through some man-made system. 
Because we can look at the law. God gave the law. But what the Jews had at this time was no longer God's law. It was a series of man-made traditions that they had used to replace God's law. And Jesus called them out on it over and over again. So the fall and rising of many. I say it quite often. Well, not quite often, but I say it often. And I think it's appropriate that when we get to heaven, I think we're going to be surprised by who's there. And I think we're going to be surprised by who's not. Because there's some people, they look really good on the outside. Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal the sick in your name? Depart from me. I never knew you. Scariest words in any language. Not just English. Depart from me. I never knew you. And I think there's going to be other peoples like the tax collector. It's a parable we're going to get to later. The Pharisee and the tax collector, right? Who wouldn't even lift up his eyes and he beat his chest and said, Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. I think we're going to be surprised. It's going to be a sign. He said he's going to be a sign which will be spoken against. And not only were Jesus' teachings spoken against by the religious hypocrites, but so were the signs and wonders he worked all the way up to the resurrection. I mean, at one point, they even accused him of doing signs and wonders by the power of Satan. And of course, Jesus used logic and, and squashed their argument. But over and over again, all the way up to his death and resurrection, which they then tried to hide and lie about. Jesus said there would only be one sign that they would get, and that's the sign of the prophet Jonah. He said that in Matthew chapter 12. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will I be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And then Simeon says, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Jesus is God. Fully man, fully God. And Mary just saw her son. If you go read the account of Jesus' crucifixion in John chapter 19, she was at the foot of the cross while he was crucified. I don't. I have a hard time watching my kids suffer. Right? Even when they bring it on themselves, I have a hard time watching my kids suffer. I don't want them to be in pain. I don't want them to be struggling. I don't want them to be hurt. And my kids have never gone through anything even close to crucifixion. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. He stood there when they brought him out covered in blood. Back ripped open, crown of thorns. They stood there. She was there when they stripped him naked and gambled over his clothes. She was there when the nails went in. She was there when he cried out, I thirst. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? She was there. I couldn't imagine it. Simeon told her it was coming. And then he says that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. 
And this can be both positive and negative. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 and 26, we read, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, if they've called the master Satan, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. For those who rejected Jesus, their hearts were revealed to be full of sin, pride, hypocrisy, anger, lust, greed, and a greater desire to be held in high esteem by human beings than to be right with God. Those who accept and follow Jesus, well, we also have our hearts revealed as we continue to follow him. We're gonna, that's going to be revealed when persecution arrives. It's going to be revealed when difficulty arrives. It's going to be revealed, our hearts are going to be revealed when God calls us to do something, when the Holy Spirit leads us to go into the temple when it doesn't make any sense, or to go talk to so-and-so when it doesn't make any sense. Our hearts are going to be revealed. Luke 6.45, which we'll get to in, what, six months. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. As our hearts are revealed, we need to reflect and ask God what will be seen. If my heart was revealed to you right now, what would you see? Huh. Bev, that is very, very sweet, but not always. <laughs> she said Jesus. I hope so. But that's what comes out. What's inside is what comes out. And if you got Jesus inside, Jesus is who comes out. Filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Word of God, that's what's going to come out. That's what people are going to see in your life. If not, that's going to be seen as well. And if you're a normal human being, well, there's some days where you shine real bright. There's some days where Jesus comes flowing out like a waterfall on the people around you. There's other days where it's not so much. And we repent. And we move forward. Verse 36. Now, there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So, I mean, we've taken a while to go through this, right? But Mary comes in, here's my offering. They're circumcising Jesus. At that moment, Simeon comes in. He picks Jesus up, speaks these words of blessing, and he talks to Mary. And at the very same time, Anna comes in. She's hearing all of this take place. Kind of a cool scene, if you ask me. Now, let's just talk about Anna for a second. If she was a typical Jewish girl, she would have been married somewhere in her mid-teenage years. Right? Back then they would get married usually as young as even 13, 14, 15. Uh, it's believed Mary was probably about 15 at this time. Um, so for the sake of argument, let's just say 15. Now, 
her husband died seven years from her virginity. So she got married. Seven years later, her husband died. She was somewhere around 22. And she spent the next 60 plus years of her life in the temple, fasting and praying night and day. What a testimony. She's called a prophetess, which describes another aspect of her ministry in the temple, a gift that she exercises concerning Jesus. And I think here we see God rewarding her faithfulness because she gets to walk in and see all of this. Because we don't see Anna again. She's not mentioned again. She's not talked about again. But I guarantee we will see her one day. The first thing she does when she walks in on this scene is she gives thanks to God. The second thing she does is to tell everyone who was looking for redemption in Jerusalem about Jesus. I love the book of Luke for many, many reasons. But while John the Baptist has an amazing ministry that we're going to look at in a couple weeks, and why we look at Matthew and we see the Magi and them coming and worshiping Jesus, and we talk about the angels, and we talk about the shepherds, and now we see Simeon, and then we see Anna. There were a lot of people long before Jesus' public ministry began, who knew who he was and were telling other people about him. The problem is most folks weren't listening. Now something that I find interesting up to this point in the book of Luke is this idea that every single person on earth is looking for spiritual fulfillment. Right? I think the shepherds were looking for it. That's why the angels appeared. I think Zacharias and Elizabeth were looking for it, and they were chosen by God for something very specific. I think Mary and Joseph were looking for it. Simeon was looking for it. Anna was looking for spiritual fulfillment because this is what we were created for. Psalm 17, verse 15 says, I shall be satisfied when I await in your likeness. The problem is all of the empty things that human beings try to find satisfaction in. That's the problem. You look at our world, right? Money, pleasure, entertainment, relationships, careers, all of this that people try to find their satisfaction in because we are all looking just like Anna. She encountered in Jerusalem all of these people who were looking for redemption. And you can go to a life coach or you can go to a therapist or you can go Google it or you can buy the latest self-help book. And I'm not saying any of these things are particularly evil, right? You all know I, I have a therapist and, and I, there's nothing wrong with that. But I don't look there for satisfaction. I don't look there for fulfillment. Maybe the latest self-help book will give you some great tools. But if you're looking to that book for your redemption, oh, you're in trouble. There's this study done by the Barna Group, and it's a little bit older, but I found this. Um, and it said more than half of those living in the United States of America 
are spiritually unsatisfied. Now that's not just talking about non-believers. And there's only one place, only one place where we can find true redemption, true spiritual satisfaction. We will only ever be spiritually satisfied when we come to Jesus. When we come to him, when we surrender to him so he can conform us to the image of his son by the power of his Holy Spirit, by the guidance of his word. When we're thirsty, what do we do? We drink coffee. Unless we're out of coffee and then we drink water. When we're hungry, what do we do? Celery and peanut butter or Doritos or whatever. When we recognize our spiritual longing, we have to come to the only one who can satisfy. We'll only find that fulfillment in Jesus. Now in verse 39, when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. So after all was said and done, Luke records that they returned to Nazareth. Now, we talked about this earlier. What Luke leaves out is that they actually went to Bethlehem first. They were there for a couple years. The Magi came. Herod was going to kill all the baby boys. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. They fled to Egypt, and after Herod died, they went back to Nazareth. All recorded for us in Matthew chapter 2. Luke, remember, he had, he researched this, also influenced by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He got to that point and he went, you know what? Matthew already wrote about Herod and, and Bethlehem and, and Egypt. I'm just going to leave that out. After all this was done, they went to Nazareth. Is that a contradiction in the Bible? No. It's just two parts of the same story. Two parts of the same account. Then we're given this testimony of Jesus. The child grew, became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And I will propose this to you. Since Jesus needed to grow spiritually, since Jesus needed to grow in wisdom, since Jesus needed to have the grace of God, his Father, upon him, we probably do as well. Right? We're not going to arrive at some place of spiritual maturity. We're not going to gain spiritual wisdom. We're not going to have success in our lives, spiritually speaking, apart from what we see here. Because Jesus, in his humanity, needed all of that. And it's really easy. We as Christians over the last couple thousand years have gotten very caught up in making sure everybody knows Jesus is God. And he is. Go read the book of John. If you need confirmation in that, or come ask me. I'd love to talk to you about it. It's one of my favorite topics. But our fixation on the divinity of Jesus has at times caused a distraction from the humanity of Jesus. And we can't forget, he was both. While he was on earth fully human, he got tired, he got hungry, 
he got frustrated. He didn't sin when he got frustrated, but he did. He got angry. Again, he didn't sin when he got angry, but he flipped over tables and whipped some people. Now, I love that that didn't count as sin. If you're Jesus. It would probably be sinful if I did. But we can't forget his humanity, which means in his humanity, he spent time in prayer. In his humanity, he set a time aside time to be alone with the Father. In his humanity, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Empowered by the very essence of God that he was equal to in his divinity, but required in his humanity. Now, I could spend a lot of time on that, and I don't want to, but just remember, we can't forget his humanity. In his humanity, he identified with us. He experienced everything we experience, but he did it without sin. And then he died for our sin to be raised again to glory. And he did all of this so he could be our faithful high priest. And we learned about that in Hebrews chapter 2. Yes, he is God, but we cannot forget his humanity. So as we close, something that has been repeated in these opening chapters of Luke is the testimony of people who were seeking after and following God. We have Zacharias. We have Elizabeth. We have Mary. We have Joseph. We have John the Baptist as a baby. In a couple weeks, we'll see him as an adult. We have the shepherds. We have Simeon. We have Anna. We have all these men and women who wanted to get closer to God. They wanted to hear from him. They wanted to see his work in their lives. And even if maybe they didn't want it, when it happened, they surrendered to it. They wanted all of this, and what happened? Well, they got it. I love that. We return back to Psalm 17, verse 15, and the idea of our spiritual satisfaction. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. How many of you woke up today the perfect image of Jesus Christ on earth? <laughs> it's never going to happen, folks. It's never going to happen. But we get a little closer every day that we walk with him. Every day that his spirit is working in us to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. I will never be sinless. I will never be perfect. No one will ever look at me and go, wow, that's probably what Jesus looked like when he was here. No, he was thinner. He didn't have tattoos. He probably wasn't balding. He had all of his teeth, right? There were just things. Everything that came out of his heart was good. Just but I want to be more like him. As an apprentice to the master, I want to be more like my master, which means surrendering to him, which means obedience. It's the title of the message, if anybody remembered. I didn't mention it, but it's on your notes and it was up there. We see people whose obedience to follow after God led to spiritual fulfillment in their lives. How gorgeous is that? Now, if we're disobedient, do we cease being Christians? No. We're going to make mistakes, folks. We're going to sin. We're going to say something dumb. We're going to think something dumb. We're going to do something dumb. And then we repent and we're forgiven. Now, if you don't repent or you don't think it's sin, that's a whole other issue. We, we should talk about that. But, We want 
to be spiritually fulfilled. If we want to be the people that God has created us to be, and I'm going to venture a guess that we do, at least most of the time, that comes with obedience. It comes with surrender. So how do we take this home? Well, my first question, are you on the path to spiritual satisfaction by having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? I think everybody here knows Jesus. If you don't, today's the day. And if there's anybody online or anybody who listens to this later and you don't, go to our website, leave us a comment on Facebook. I don't care. Let me know so we can help you understand that Jesus died for you because he loves you, that he rose again to prove that he is God, to prove that he conquered sin and death, and that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. Then as believers, I ask this question, as a believer, are you satisfied with your spiritual life and relationship with God? Now, that is a loaded question because you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be. Right? I want to be closer to him today than I was yesterday. I, hopefully, in six months, I'll be closer to him than I am today. And today, hopefully, I'm closer to him than I was six months ago. But our satisfaction comes from awakening in his likeness. And we're not there. One day we will. One day we'll put off this body. One day that which is corrupted will go away and we'll put on the incorruptible. And we'll be in his presence and we'll be like him, the Bible tells us. Whew, good day. Probably not going to be today. Probably not going to be tomorrow. It might be, I don't know. But chances are. And so I don't think we should be satisfied in our relationship with the Lord. Right? Jesus is like, just think of your favorite dessert. What's coming to mind right now is a warm brownie with vanilla ice cream and caramel sauce. Right? When you get to the end of that, are you, are you glad you ate it? Not usually, but you want more, don't you? <laughs> I don't know. Not everybody has the same problems I have. But when I get to the end of it, I'm like, wow, I don't need another brownie and more ice cream and caramel sauce, but it was really good, and I want more. That's how Jesus should be for each of us. We should just always want more. And so, two questions. What do you need to subtract to get closer to him? And this is, yeah, no, not the caramel sauce. That's the Holy Spirit dripping down right there. Come on now. Uh, but what do you need to subtract? Is there something in your life that needs to go away? Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's a distraction. Maybe it's a thought. Anybody in here have intrusive thoughts that distract you from your relationship with Christ? Right? I'll raise everything to that one because I do. What is it? That's between you and God. Let the Holy Spirit deal with you on that. And let God empower you to get rid of it. Then what do you need to add to get closer to him? Maybe it's a time of silence and solitude. Right? I've been harping on that for a good year now. And if you guys remember, about a year ago, I told you I wanted to start practicing silence and solitude. 
in my own devotion. And my goal was to start with five minutes a day. And then when I got to five minutes a day, I would extend that time. I'm still trying to get to five minutes a day. And I'm not saying that to put myself down or to put you down, because we're all a work in progress. I'm just saying, I'm not there. But maybe you need to add that five minutes. Maybe it needs to be two minutes. Maybe it needs to be service. Maybe it needs to be more time in the word. I don't know. That's between you and him. Again, we as a church are here to support you, to help you, to love you, and to encourage you. So if you need that, let us know, because we're in this together. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say that there's at least one thing in your life that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal that he wants gone. And there's going to be at least one thing in your life that the Holy Spirit will reveal to you that he wants to add. Now, I'm not saying you're all sinners. Well, you are. But I'm not saying you're going to hell unless you don't know Jesus. And I'm not saying that you're, you're rotten or, or bad in your walk with Christ. I'm just saying, as human beings who know what the Word of God teaches us, I guarantee that there's something in our lives that the Lord wants to get rid of. And there's something in our lives that the Lord goes, you know, you could use a little more of this. I just know that. So take some time this week. It's my challenge to you. I love to challenge you to reflect on these things before God. And I challenge you to reflect on these things before God because he makes me do it before I'm allowed to preach. And if I have to suffer, so do you. In love. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior. Thank you that you care so much about us that you love us so much that you will take us wherever we're at. You will take the sin. You will take the garbage. You will take the disobedience. You will take it all and bring us to you. But you love us so much that you won't leave us there. That you'll clean us up. And you'll make us more and more yours every day. And I pray that you would for each and every one of us. Fill us with your spirit. Guide us by your word. Teach us. Help us to grow. Father, I pray for myself because you've already told me what it is and I pray for my brothers and sisters that when you reveal that thing that needs to go that you would give us the grace to let it go. And when you reveal to us the thing that you want to add that you would give us the grace to be obedient. And that in all things you would be glorified. In Jesus' name.